0: difficult to keep the line between the past and the present. you believe that someone out of the past can enter and take possession of a living being? We may be through with the past, but the past is not through with
1: us.
2: Welcome back to The Next Picture Show, a movie of the week podcast devoted to a classic film and the way it shaped our thoughts on a recent release. I'm Keith Phipps, here with
1: Genevieve Kosky
2: and Scott Tobias. Tasha Robinson as AWOL, possibly sabotaging a Superfund site? We're not sure. Um, <laughs> on the first half of this episode, we discussed Martin Scorsese's Taxi Driver, a portrait of alienation set against the backdrop of 70s New York. In this episode, we're looking at First Reformed, the latest directorial effort from Taxi Driver screenwriter Paul Schrader. This is Schrader's 20th film as director. He's had his ups and downs behind the camera, but the buzz that his latest was one of his best, if not the best film he's ever directed, began with the first screenings of First Reformed. For me, at least and we'll get to everyone else's reaction shortly, it very much lived up to that buzz. Here, Schrader draws on his past work, including Taxi Driver, but also his earliest and deepest influences. In 1972, Schrader published Transcendental Style in Film, Ozu, Brassan, Dreyer, exploring the commonalities he found in those directors, particularly their use of still compositions and reserved editing to prompt viewers into new ways of looking at movies. He recently published a new edition of that book, but First Reformed itself serves as a kind of model of that style, with some key and meaningful disruptions. It tells the story of an increasingly disillusioned pastor, played by Ethan Hawke, who heads a sparsely attended but historically important New England church, and who feels compelled to take drastic action to act against abuses of the environment. Amanda Seyfried co stars as Mary, the wife of a troubled environmental activist. Cedric Kyles, better known as Cedric the Entertainer, plays the pastor of a much larger church on which Hawke's church, first reformed, is financially dependent. There's a lot to talk about with this movie, including its influences. We could easily have paired First Reformed with several other movies that Schrader has freely cited in interviews, Karl Ordette, Ingmar Bergman's Winter Light, and Robert Bresson's Diary of a Country Priest, to which it owes a particular debt. But it's also an urgent film with plenty to talk about apart from its influences. We'll get into all that after the break. I have decided to keep a journal to set down all my thoughts and the simple events of my day. I will keep this diary for one year, and at the end of that time, it will be destroyed. I encouraged my son to enlist. It was a family tradition. Six months later, he was dead in Iraq. I was lost. My sense, the reading of the Lord. Praise be God. So, how are you? Oh, I'm fine. No, really. See, it's been a while since we've talked. Even a pastor needs a pastor.
1: Did you see the doctor? You need someone to take care of you. I want you to be happy.
2: I know that nothing can change, and I know there is no hope. Reverend Toller? Yes, Mary.
0: she was becoming someone i didn't know opportunistic diseases anarchy martial law you will live to see this but you had no idea what he was thinking of.
1: no i'm so frightened
0: these kids they want certainty you know don't think follow they fall prey to extremism
2: it's a world without hope
0: no i have not lost my faith
1: What we did together was a sin.
2: I've seen enough real sin to know the difference. You
1: didn't tell
0: the police. Take a look at your own life before you criticize others. Mm-hmm. These are frightening times. We have to be patient. Well, somebody has to do something. Are you one? shake as i write these lines are you washed in the blood of the lamb can god forgive us for what we've done to this world who can know the mind of god
2: so what did everyone think of first reformed
0: i loved it yeah me too <laughs> i thought it was really good I, I was i was stunned i had learned to sort of write off paul schrader largely based on i mean uneven is one word to describe what he's been doing lately. <laughs> I mean, spotty. He's had a spotty directorial career after, I think, a pretty strong start and uh, and even in that strong start there are movies that fall under the category of guilty pleasure or or uh
1: curiosity right they just they're just
0: like like cat people I, yeah, I really is li- cat people good i don't know yeah. but I, I like watching I, it though. exactly right exactly i like watching and i like mishima is legitimately re- good blue collar is excellent but this is one of one if not his best film and one of the things that i've always thought about with regard to paul schrader is this quote that he gave once where he said that he made the types of films as a director that he would not have liked as a critic. And I think first reformed is the first movie I've seen of his that seems like he, that he would respond to it as a critic as well. It's just so in his wheelhouse. I mean, as you said, it is, it reflects this very famous essay he wrote about transcendental style in film. It is very much about his, upbringing about you know he was a calvinist he didn't even see a movie until he was what 17 or 18 years mm-hmm. old and uh as a
2: minor and, professor i believe was his first film <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and
0: he just was like and this is the type of character the god's lonely man type of character that he's been revisiting constantly throughout his career with tax driver with an american gigolo with light sleeper which is an excellent film and affliction to an extent that sort of thing so he's this is so much a paul schrader film fully in a way that few films he's directed have been, so I appreciate that about it too. But I'm talking too much, Jenny, what did you think of it? <laughs> no,
1: you're talking just enough, Scott. No, um I really liked it a lot too. I've I've had full disclosure, I was originally not gonna be on this episode, so I've had less than or I've had exactly twenty four hours with which to sit with First Reform, so I'm still definitely working out my feelings on it, particularly on the ending, which we should probably discuss. Spoilers be damned. I did really like this movie. I did not come to it with the knowledge of Schrader's Work that you did, and and therefore, like, did not really process it in terms of, you know, his style or his motivations or his favorite themes. And I just sort of processed, like, what was on screen. And, like, what was on screen really spoke to me and felt like it's, I think you said in your opening, Keith, like, it feels like a very urgent film. And it feels like so of this moment while not directly engaging with specific. Aspects of this moment, but specifically, it engages with ideas that, like I personally think a lot about, and like a, you know, have a effect on how I live my life. And I just like was very, very drawn into this character of Toller. And you know, like kind of going back to what you were talking about with Taxi Driver, like how I felt resentful of being put in in this person's mind. Like I didn't feel that with Toller, even though he's a character with whom I don't share very much in common at all but like i i felt a connection to him and what was happening to him in the film that just was incredibly alluring and drew me into the film in and well,
0: he's trying to of, do the right thing he's trying to listen and be a good person uh yeah. it's not his priorities are different than than travis's i guess
1: yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> somewhat so yeah. yeah but the despair is still there and like, like the the hope despair dichotomy like i think like that is I mean, obviously, First Reform is very explicit about it, you know, but the maybe not so much the hope, but the despair is definitely there in Taxi Driver as well.
2: Yeah. I mean, one thing I love about this is he is a good pastor. He gives to Michael, the environmental act- activist who is despairing over the state of the world. He really gives good counsel and he, you know, he describes it as, as like Jacob wrestling with the angel and he really does energized by yeah he He likes it he talks him he talks him through it and I think his talk about hope you know having to hold on to hope no matter what, and kind of trust that God will work things out, is you know, what I would want to hear if I was talking to a pastor in a situation. But I also think it's so true that you can think these things through rationally and intellectually and not be able to feel them. Mm-hmm. And then that and him slipping into I mean, I think he was going down a dark path before, but him slipping into that feels really convincing to me. And as the film progresses and he sees mounting evidence, not only it just that Michael was right about the environment, but how you know this modern faith system is locked in with with corporate sponsorship which is destroying the environment while also you know doing paying lip service to saving the environment and how it's it seems like a death spiral, and and there's just no way out of it. To me, it's it's very persuasive. I think, much like Taxi Driver, and, and we're not tech to the end of the comparison session yet. But I mean, I think following him down this trail is, you can just follow the logic bit by bit and accompany him there.
0: Yeah, I mean, one of the things that I really appreciated about the film is how plugged in it is to today. Because mm-hmm. I because my fear going into it. Was that it was just going to be a big homage to the films that he loves, and those influences are there, and you mentioned them in the intro of to Ordet to winter light, to die over a country priest, which is heavy, but I mean, or debt, there's the bits of the transcendental bit where they're floating or around. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, that's the ending of, over debt is very famous with its uh, miracle that occurs amidst uh, this utter, you know, misery that has sort of led up to it. This, this yeah. moment of transcendence and grace and something miraculous. And yeah. then with winter light, the churches are so similar. Cause like, it, you know, in winter light, you have von Seidau as a pastor, and only a few parishioners, and the pastors tormented, and the parishioners are disengaged. And that film is all about God's silence. So you but have do they sell u- hats? <laughs> yeah I mean, they do not sell hats uh you know they, they you know they just all suffer together but like so those elements are there and of course in diary of a country priest which i haven't seen as much recently but the diaristic aspects of it etc all that it's a lot
2: more too i just oh, i watched oh, that movie the day before i saw this okay. and and like so this is a lot there. dipping the bread in the wine and, and his his dietary habits his health problems are all in diary okay. of country priest well, as well.
0: i guess but beyond that whole ramble I appreciated that it wasn't just completely stuck in the past, that the issues that it was speaking to are so relevant and important about faith, about the environment, about politics, about how all these things interact in a really toxic way. And it made me really crave for more independent American independent films to do this sort of thing. Why don't Mm -hmm. we do this more often? Like, where is the seriousness in American independent films? That was a thought that occurred to me while watching this film. Just like, this is such relevant material and like... I'd love to see it and I, I wish for more. I, of I it. think
2: I think unfortunately the the other American independent version of this is a pastor returns to his hometown and revisits his past and you know and, and then in the end has some sort of revelation nice song plays over the closing <laughs> credits and, and there you go you know I mean yeah this is a bold film and some of the things that we touched on is, is there's a good Kevin our friend Kevin Lincoln and Vulture has a, has a piece on the, on the end of this film which we're going to get well, I'm sure we'll get into in just a minute but um, yeah Ordet is is very you know explicitly referenced it, it, it comes from that one one scene, which we should probably talk about—the sort of floating scene—but also uh, the end. But let's talk about the floating scene first. I mean, that to me is just a, a breathtaking moment. I mean, I, I think one of the most affecting moments that I've seen in movies this year is just just Mary's hair falling over his face. Mm-hmm. And it's just kind of like there's so much stillness in that, and just that kind of dramatic draping there. It's just I, I don't know, and, then, and the actual. Floating itself, those images are so striking, and the fact that he can't stay, he can't focus on the beauty. I mean, he just can. He's in such a state that that he can't keep his eye on on the divine. He has to be look. He has to look at the corruption of it. It's 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 an amazing amazing sequence.
1: Yeah, and like what strikes me about that sequence is like the lead up to it. Like when Mary is telling him about it, what do they call it? What's the magical mystery tour? Yes. Yes. When, yeah. when she's telling about the magical mystery tour and cause up until that point, the film hasn't really broken with reality, you mm-hmm. know, like that's a big turning point in the film, that scene. And right before it happens, like when Mary's telling him about it and he's like, do you want me to do it? That is the moment that like made me sit up straight or like, wait, What's happening here? Mm -hmm. You, you, You know, like it's just, it's not like it didn't break with reality, but it was just like such a leap for like that character and that relationship that I think it's sort of like primed you for where that scene eventually went i have to say it elicited a fair amount of giggles in my theater not for me i would Mm -hmm. never but but you know like these people
0: not seen or dead
1: but but i I don't think it was like it was like derisive giggling Mm -hmm. i think it's that like uncomfortable like i don't know how to react to what's happening right now You, Mm -hmm. you, you know and that the same reaction uh came at the at the end of the film as well which I guess can we spoil? Can we talk about it? Yeah, let's
2: talk about it I, briefly. I was going to say that how how good is. well Hawk Hawk Two and safe I, yeah. how, how good safe Free is. I mean, mm-hmm. I've always liked her. I feel like we haven't seen her in that much. And, late, and yeah, right she in, she and,
1: she. I can't remember was the last time she got material like this to work with, like I'm just
2: looking at her filmography. Yeah, yeah. She's a lot really of like Big Love. Yeah,
1: like, yeah. yeah I, was gonna, I said Big Love.
2: Oh, you said is, Big Love. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of direct uh, VOD kind of stuff. And and Hawk's Hawk He's okay. He's turned into I maybe mean, he um, always yeah. was, but he's turned into such a great
0: actor. Yeah. You know, complete reversal from. Where he started, where it was just like I could not stand this mug was, was it him
2: or was it us? So, because I go back and look at, at, at Reality Bites, yeah, you, know, you, don't, well, you don't Reality like Bites now. But, yeah. but but uh but I mean, I didn't really like him in, in Before Sunrise that much either. And now I love him in uh, yeah, Before Sunrise. Yeah. So I don't know.
0: He's got, but there's some depth. And I think I think he's you know I think he punches his weight and training data as well as yeah uh, yeah. That's a great performance and
2: He totally tamps down what. The normal Ethan Hawke performances, like there's no easy charm here. There's no, yeah, it's it's so introspective, but he doesn't verbalize. Yeah, it's part of him growing up, just growing
0: up and becoming a different actor. But like one thing before we get to the ending that I wanted to mention that was so moving about that floating (laughs) scene is that when you talk about like the Paul Schrader type, the God God's Lonely Man type, to have that type of character make a connection with somebody in this way, you know, after this whole career of this type of person not making those connections Mm. it's so overwhelmingly powerful to experience and it's just i like that schrader has allowed himself to do that and allowed a character to have that kind of a intimacy and connection to someone to another person i mean i just i I don't know it's it's just in the grand scope of Schrader's career that just feels like progress to me
2: (laughs) i mean she's not not symbolic either, but I think Seyfried the script and Seyfried do such a good job of fleshing her out that she's more than she obviously is a stand in for God's grace in many ways. Mm-hmm. She's named Mary. Uh, his name is Mary. <laughs> yeah, she's a child. Um, you know, it's, he's embracing, you know, getting to the ending now, but he's, he's embracing more than just this woman at the end. He's embracing, you know, I think life and God and, and the possibility of, of hope, uh, as well, which is why the ending gets to me. Um, but, you know, she is obviously you know symbolic, but also a fully fleshed out character in many ways. So, what are, is the ending? I, I I find it completely moving and overwhelming. And there's at least some clues that it may we shouldn't be taking it literally. But I live in hope, so I'm going to choose that that it, to think it is literally uh, happening as well.
1: Yeah, I'm still wrestling with the ending, which I. And I'm talking about the very, very ending, the cut to black mm-hmm. and like the the choice to make that stark cut, you know, and the lack of resolution that comes with it, even though like the resolution is there for you to find. And like, I just I came away feeling like I wanted one more beat, you know, like I just I, I wanted something a little more satisfactory And I totally understand why the film doesn't do that, and like you know, I'm not saying the film should be different to please my taste, but it didn't quite land for me. The the, to the extent that like everything that came before it landed, and it could just be like like I said, I need to sit with it some more. I need to think about it some more. It's definitely grown on me in the 24 hours since I've seen the film, Mm -hmm. but I'm still not entirely sold that Schrader couldn't have taken this one step further and ended the movie in a more satisfying manner but
0: yeah i just i mean i'm try to think about options about where to go from there and it's yeah. like mm, i don't know well, I, I think that, like, i think
1: that's kind of why it rubs me the wrong way because it feels a little bit like a cop-out like where do you go from here you cut you just we're done we're done no, you know you, you you, get, you figure they should get it out on the back they should they should, they should
0: they should catch a bus and then get on the back of the bus right? that's and what then, i want and that's then, how and the, how and then there's cut. kind of a look, look of uncertainty and then you got um
2: you're gonna miss that reconsecration ceremony <laughs> <laughs> I, I know uh, but uh yeah, yeah i um i think it's perfect uh I will not it, it, the frame. It, does,
0: it does feel um, it, it is abrupt though it does feel yeah. like it is missing a beat and i it, you know i think you can I guess say that's a, it's a deliberate choice, but it is a choice. And, and uh, when it did cut and you get credits, it was like, oh, oh OK, Yeah, <laughs> I'm, I guess I guess it's over. And, I'll, and uh, that's that's that. So uh, it's I mean, good Lord, how audacious to attempt all the things he's attempting to do. I mean, the options this character is uh, is presented with in such a short period of time, the things that he could that he wants to do or plans to do. And then the alternative to that, and then the alternative to that. It's interesting.
1: Oh, I want to hear Keith talk about the clues that it is not actually happening. Well, I cause... mean, just,
2: just, we've seen Pastor Jeffers go to this door and it's locked. So there's no,
1: um. you
2: know, we don't, you know, and it, the way, the, how does she get in? You know, we don't know. Uh, she doesn't have a key. I mean, but, but I mean, it seems so unlikely. She has the key but, to but, but I mean, but I mean, you know. <laughs> God, you know, if you want to get theological about it, God's grace is all, the ultimate unlikely <laughs> event. So it, it works for me. Um, I wrestled with this film as I was watching it too, because I didn't want the taxi driver ending. I didn't want it to to be a message of despair. Uh, And at one point, apparently, you know, one version of the script, he dies drinking the Drano. And that's the end of the movie. Mm -hmm. And and, um, I think it's much more audacious to end this movie on a a note of hope. And I'm really happy we got the ending we got.
1: But it's still hope tempered with despair because he's still wearing the barbed wire sure. like as he's kissing her you know which i like i think like makes that image even more powerful mm-hmm. because you know that there is still like this intense pain that he is feeling and presumably she may be feeling too yeah like, it, y- it know, hurt you know? me like, is she feeling can she yeah. feel this
2: through, through her clothes?
0: it's, it's, it's yeah. like it's the what the 50 shades of gray <laughs> <laughs> is it kind of kind of the pain and the pleasure at, at the same time yeah i
1: don't think that's quite what they were going for here but uh but yeah <laughs> I also just kind of want, before we move on to connections, to talk about the look of this film because, mm-hmm. as I said, I'm not like super uh, up on Schrader's work as a director in particular. Mm-hmm. Um, and s- this film is just so striking in its composition. And is it, what what ratio is, Academy is it? Academy ratio. It is Academy ratio. Mm-hmm. Okay. And just the, the compositions, the the starkness of the rooms. I guess I'm asking you guys whether you think this is like exceptional for Schrader, or if this is like very much what he does, or you know, it's
0: exceptional.
2: Yeah, Yeah, There's a lot of Schrader I haven't seen, but it definitely seems to be more of a nod to your your Brassans of the world than his Schrader's own work in the past. Shooting
0: Academy ratio is definitely a choice. Um, Yeah, though I will say I was kind of complaining about it on Twitter about the very digital look of the Mm film, and uh, to me, I just have. This knee jerk and probably this is to my detriment reaction against digital video, and, and when it's played up, and I and I, even when directors I really love don't hide the digital aspects of the film, like Michael Mann, it kind of makes me itch a little bit. And da- you know, David Lynch does it sometimes too. But so, but there's a lot of pushback I got from that, and people liked, as you say, the starkness of the mm-hmm. film and the way it looks, and that I guess that – I guess there's a setting – and this just makes me want to cry on, – <laughs> on a digital camera that is cinema, yeah. like, like a cinema setting, and I think that's how largely a lot of the, your slicker-looking digital video productions are shot, and and that that was – Turned off, yeah. <laughs> really And that the, the cinematographer is like, "This is what it looks like turned off." And 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 Schrader sort of embraced the idea, and so it doesn't really. The film doesn't really hide its digital nature, and so you get this interesting contrast between a film that is so much a throwback in terms of the academia ratio and the uh, doing the Bresson, Dreyer, Bergman thing, and then this very conspicuously digital look. Too and I, I mean I, I feel like I really want to revisit the film to kind of maybe see what the people who are defending the look um, are seeing that I'm not seeing.
2: I mean, you can talk to me about it. I, I like the look of this film. I, I like that it has these really stark, like painterly compositions, but it's rendered with the most modern technology possible. And I think it kind of erases. I mean, you know, this is framed. Uh, his despair is caused by environmental destruction, but there's always something. There's always something in the world that seems. And I'm not saying that I'm not denying that we're in bad shape when it comes to the environment, but there's always something in the world that feels like it's we're heading on some sort of irreversible decline. And I think this kind of makes us that eternal feeling and the way it's been dramatized in the past and it kind of dra- makes it makes a connection to the present mm-hmm. um, and just to have like these really classically composed scenes but also have like a computer a laptop in the background <laughs> just mm-hmm. kind of kind of showing uh, you know environmental statistics and things like that I mean I, th- I think there's there's connections between past and present that are being made and one of the ways it's doing it is is to render that in this this very contemporary digital look
0: yeah no I, I get the I get the argument I also
2: like the way the light comes in through the windows um, in this <laughs> digital I, I think it looks it's it's a really nice okay. um, kind of otherworldly effect to it.
0: Yeah, it seems pretty... Clear to me that I'm going to see this film again in a theater. And that is why, leaves.
2: in conclusion, all films should be shot on digital video,
1: <laughs> and we should still and call I, them all films. I believe I have
0: that's one right. one not one that's Oh yes. Oh yeah! We should get back to my whole my proposal <laughs> that my <by> proposal <laughs> that that the word film should only be used in reference to, to things that were shot on celluloid. Yeah, that's,
2: you're going to get a lot. You're going to get very far with
0: <laughs> people. That. Love that one. People loved it when we when I d- brought that up on the Dissolve <laughs> podcast. Total approval from everyone on that idea. <laughs>
2: That wraps up. We're going to wrap up this part of our discussion of First Reform, but we'll be back to talk about it plenty more in connection to Taxi Driver after this. I wasn't aware that I had offended. Jesus didn't want our suffering. He suffered for us. Mm-hmm. He wants our commitment and our obedience. And one of his creation? The heavens declare the glory of God. God is present everywhere in every plant, every river, every tiny
0: insect. The whole world is a manifestation of his holy presence. I think this is an issue where, where the church can lead, but, but they say nothing. So-
2: now it's time for Connections. We bring these two films together and talk about all the things they have in common. Uh, we can just start with the protagonists and God's... Lonely man in a new form, but I mean that's the term that Travis Pickle applies to himself, and it's a type of character we've seen see in other Schrader films and in other films in general, and, and certainly Ernst Toller falls into that category, too.
0: He does. I mean, we talked about this a little bit. I kind of want to get into—this is a discovery I just made recently due to someone on Twitter kind of posting the first couple of pages of Schrader's script— for taxi driver, and it actually begins with an epigram from Thomas Wolfe from God's Lonely Man. Uh, before anything is written, the quote is: "The whole conviction of my life now rests upon the belief that loneliness, far from being a rare and curious phenomenon, is the central and inevitable fact of human existence." And uh, that's such a I mean, that, you know, I mean, that's that's how he he even introduce Travis Bickle at that point <laughs> in the screenplay. I mean, that is kind of a clearing of the throat for Paul Schrader's entire career and so to see that type advances it has as we talked about in the first part of this episode to see the differences between Travis Pickle and Ernst Toller it's kind of profound uh yeah, but, where the place that he's ended up even though the two do have a lot in common
1: yeah i mean the first reform is i'd say equally explicit about the lonely man aspect and one of the things he writes in his diary when he's talking about like being called to being a pastor and you know like some are called for their gregariousness some are called for something else and then he's like some are called for their loneliness who can and i'm I don't have the exact quote, but it's something to the effect of some are called for their loneliness who can hold beating hearts in their hands, called for their knowledge of emptiness. And that idea of like knowledge of emptiness, the idea of like emptiness slash despair as almost a virtue is interesting, particularly when placed in a religious context as it is in first reform, but it's taken to very different effect in taxi driver but i find it very compelling in first reform like paired with the idea of grace
0: there's another bit of dialogue from taxi driver that i wanted to mention in connection to this theme which is a a bit of narration where travis says all my life needed was a sense of someplace to go i don't believe that one should devote his life to morbid self-attention i believe Mm -hmm. that someone should become a person like other people
1: yeah, and there's there's again a parallel bit of dialogue in First Reform when he's talking about journaling. I don't have the exact quote, but basically talking about how like it sort of disgusts him to see his words and like the or it accomplishes nothing. It's self pity, you know, mm-hmm. and it it's sort of a, a very similar sentiment expressed by a very different character.
0: In, in one thing they do have in common too is the idea that they have to do something big something important you know they have to act as nobody else would act and and you know travis chooses chooses extreme route that ernst toller could there was certainly an option on the table the first option on the table and the second but especially the first option was was a slaughter you know it was was to, to blow but, everything up
1: yeah but it was an idea that came to him from someone else you know it's not something that no one else would do it's something that mike mary's husband was planning to do you know and it's In almost, a different context
2: though not not blowing up the church true yeah. true
1: i guess that does take it to a, a slightly different level but i, I think it's it creates this sense of despair or extremism, reactionaryism as infectious, you know, as something that can be spread from person to person and that can overcome you uh, against your will.
0: And he does long. I mean, both characters still do long so much for a connection to somebody else. You know, Travis utterly fails to make that connection though he tries really he tries his, his best and does not succeed that's not the case with first reform i mean he actually is able to achieve something and that's that's a significant thing
2: i like the idea that first Reform is the character's name
0: <laughs> Did I say
2: that? Yeah, not really. But uh, Toller is different from Bickle in that he also rejects a connection to uh, Esther.
1: I don't know what to make of the Esther character and particularly his the rage he feels toward her other than it just being a way to illustrate his downward spiral and that I don't really like that i don't like that like the only other female character of consequence in this movie is like used basically just to illustrate his problems but i, I was intrigued by by esther i kind of want to know more about her but you know that's not the movie we got. So
2: Yeah. I, I, f- I feel like that's more on him than, than her, but it is like you yeah. said, it's kind of like she's just kind of there as a barometer for, for where his head's at mm-hmm. at, at that point. Not
0: at a great point. No, <laughs> not, yeah. not in a good no. way. Uh, but what I, I think that leads into the next connection. Though,
2: well, yeah, yeah, women, I mean, these, both these characters in, in different ways have had and continue to have trouble connecting with women and also, both films make symbolic use of women. Uh, Travis kind of has trouble seeing women as anything but symbols, whereas uh, First Reformed, as we've discussed before, makes symbolic use of of Mary. But also, Ernst has a a failed marriage in his past as as well. So there's a lot going on here when it comes to these men and women.
1: I feel like it was something that's like in the back of my mind with both of these films as sort of like low key annoyance that like this is how the female characters are used while at the same time realizing like that is just what these films are and like that's I guess what Schrader is trying to accomplish like he's he's writing about male protagonists and writing about God's only men not you Mm -hmm. know God's only women and you know women therefore function in relation to that so like I don't want to say it's, it's disappointing, but it's something I was like hyper-aware of with both of these films.
0: No, I mean, I think he just doesn't know. I think women are an absolute yeah. mystery to him. Yeah, I mean... I mean, and he, I mean in the way he, he doesn't write well for them.
1: Yeah, yeah. I'm not saying I want Paul Schrader to write First Reformed for a female protagonist. You know, like, that's, that's not a movie I think anyone would probably enjoy.
0: No, I mean, it's you kind know? of a saving grace, really, of both films that they are so much about the perception and the point of view of, of their lead characters. Because I think if you took a different... We're trying for a different approach, a more democratic approach to making either one of these films, uh, I think is failures to write well for women to do right by those characters would be way more conspicuous, right?
1: Yeah. And it also just kind of ties up with so I, this was kind of another connection, but it's also part of the, the film's treatment of women, too, is the idea of the male savior. And that's obviously like much more explicit in Taxi Driver than it is in First Reform, where I think you can argue that it is... Toller, who is saved or who is in need of saving, you know, mm-hmm. but he
2: probably sees himself as somewhat of a messianic figure in some ways, so or at least a martyr.
1: Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. when he wrapped himself in barbed wire. Yeah, you my, my, yeah. yeah I, I,
2: I've, I've seen enough films to know what that might be a symbol of. <laughs> yeah. Um,
1: but, yeah. But but I, mean, I mean, he wrote yeah. the
0: Last Temptation of Christ, so we can keep that in mind. Yeah. So yeah.
1: Yeah. 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 God, I just mm, I hate Travis Bickle so much, guys, <laughs> and I know I'm supposed to, and but just like the calling he seems to feel to you know rescue these women from his perception of their lives you know Mm -hmm. and it's just i I don't have confidence that schrader was doing that with intent i'm not convinced that schrader was trying to say something about Bickel's view toward women i think that he is using women as a tool to say something about the men not say something about how the men view women if that makes sense
2: yeah, I mean, I think there's there's a lot of I I mean, Traders has said as much. There's a lot of identification with that character when yeah. he wrote it. It was sort of a Dark Knight of the Soul product, but I, I think. We can see that, though. I mean, yeah. I, I, I think just because it wasn't an intent of, of the author doesn't mean
1: it's not there, you know. And, mm-hmm. and, uh,
2: um, yeah. I, I think it's uh, uh, yeah. I mean, I mean,
1: there's a reason that it, it invoked like incels to, to me, you know, because it does feel relevant to discussions we are still having, and you know, that have evolved into the modern day. Like, there's definitely. Stuff to pick out there and to draw from it that he almost certainly didn't in- intend, and like I said, it just like contributes to this sort of like underlying discomfort I felt while watching Taxi Driver.
0: Yeah, I mean, my one defense of the male savior aspect of Taxi Driver is that I think the film is clear or tries to make clear that his real interest isn't in being a savior necessarily. I mean, maybe it says his interest, but what he ultimately needs to do is commit an act of violence i mean that Mm. that is his drive uh that you know he
1: It's a hammer in search of a nail
0: there you go i always stumble around things and then you then you come up with something perfect and that's that that. so (laughs) so uh yeah no he's a hammer in search of a a nail and so i think we would probably rightly find the film to be morally repulsive or or more so than it is if we were to fully accept that he is saved this person uh, um, out of a sense of of decency and moral rightness. And uh, I don't think that's really the case.
1: Yeah, that's true. I guess to the extent that she is saved by him, it is not by accident, but I mean, by circumstance more than anything. Yeah.
2: Yeah. So there's kind of a sense in both these films, a couple of topics we have here are, you know, the way they're addressing the values of society of the moment they were made and sort of the sense of, decline and decay that, you know, New York is going to hell and in fresh reform, the whole world is going to hell if we don't do something about it. You know, how does those play out for you and in both these films?
0: Well, I think I've talked plenty, I guess, about the culture of violence and perception of violence in Taxi Driver and how one act is considered heroic and one act is considered horrific but to Travis it makes no difference. I mean that's that's a key point made towards the end of the film but I really am interested in for talking about First Reformed because I think it touches on so many really relevant contemporary matters within the church, within the political sphere, within the environment. I mean this idea that godly people are supposed to be stewards of the environment but these churches are you know, especially the mega churches are controlled by big money donors like anything else. It's so politics has Infected religion and infected people's minds. I mean, one of the most important scenes I think in First Reform is that youth group. Yep, I was, I was waiting. Yeah, I, I, blow, I was, I was waiting for you to finish, finish so, so the, I
1: could bring it up. Just but. the
0: anger, the anger that he gets both from that kid and then also from from the head of this company to, to, the, to the temerity of actually thinking that you're a steward of the environment is just it's it's uh, you know he gets blasted for it as being as being you know I guess a leftist or something or a well, radical. it's a
2: complex issue yeah it's, uh, well it's actually and, uh,
1: um, yeah well, and the the follow up to that youth group scene when Toller is talking to Jeffers about it, you know, and they're talking about uh extremism, you know kids these days everything is is so extreme you, you know, and these are frightening times because. We want certainty and certainty doesn't exist, so we find certainty in extreme views, and that applies to the specific issue of this film, which is environmental collapse. But it can just be blown out to so yeah, like that is the scene I'm thinking of the scene between Toller and Jeffers when I talk about like how this film feels urgent and, and of the moment because that observation that thought it applies not just to what is happening in this film, but just to what is happening in our, in the, our world.
0: The discourse. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It'd be one of those things where if this were Twitter, you'd put this in all caps.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I mean, those two scenes together are great. I like Cedric, Kyle, Cedric. He's very entertaining. He's uh, <laughs> no, entertaining in that one scene where he's talking about the him, but uh, um, I like that the film it I mean, is,
1: sorry, real quick. Like, that was almost certainly like that's a casting wink, like t- casting someone who's known as the entertainer as the head of a, yeah, a megachurch. You know? I also feel like
2: it's it's not entirely. It's not. It takes a, a nuanced view of that. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I think Jeffers is is somewhat blind to these connections that between corporations, corporate sponsorship, and and the church and and the environment. The torment Toller, but he's not a bad person. And I think he's he is part of this church that is maybe too contemporary in its approach in some ways but at the same time he seems like a you know a good pastor within that context as well and and, and what he's saying to toller in that scene is is a pretty good summation of these kids. And like you said, the discourse right now, Mm -hmm. um, it's sort of this divisive, you're on one end or the other, um, you know, and, and if you dare to introduce a view that challenges me, I'm going to yell until, until you back down, which is, uh, chillingly accurate
1: in terms of Jeffers being like a good pastor. I guess I agree, but I also like we do see like little bits of his ministry and like the things he is telling his congregation and like the things he says about like anxiety and depression yeah. and stuff to the extent of like lighten up you know that, that's fair <laughs> and um, and that is obviously meant in contrast to what toller is going through and toller's own view you know it's kind of not that different from wizard and
2: taxi driver either just got to get out yeah, there you know yeah. lighten up you know uh, <laughs> another yeah.
1: connection we did it guys yeah, yeah
2: um yeah i, I mean i don't I think i think he's he's serving too many masters and misguided but not at heart a bad person and, and not and someone with whom Toler can engage with a dialogue that's meaningful at least to him if not if not to Jeffers as well
0: yeah I, I think you use the word blind Keith I'd use the word beholden mm-hmm. uh, you know I think this is somebody who is trying to thread a very thin needle between serving his donors which is something you do as with politics but now religion and trying to spread the word and do good things and have this community of Worshippers that he's managing and so of course that that involves tremendous compromise of the sort that toller doesn't have to really worry about toller has his little ministry that nobody shows up to the mm-hmm. tourists show up to occasionally but he can kind of practice the way he wants to practice he's the indie band of, in this scenario <laughs> it whereas uh jeffers is more more playing corporate rock it's a great character, and I what and a tremendous performance. What a really smart piece of casting! You really do sense like who could run an operation of this size and have that has a personality that big and can hit a lot of different notes. And I think it's a great performance.
2: Mm-hmm. We talked about how Voiceover was used in Tax Driver. I want to return to that uh, and compare it to First Reformed. Where do you see the similarities and differences there?
1: Well, I mean, I kind of talked around this in the first half in terms of taxi driver but like the the device in first reformed of him journaling for a year like it's a, it provides a structure to the voiceover and a reasoning for it and it allows that voiceover to exist in a space between introspection and narration of what's actually happening in the film it creates a device that justifies the the sort of narration we are getting, you know, and Toller is, he's kind of telling us what's happening in the film and why it's happening, but it's more about letting us into his head. And in Taxi Driver, it is all about letting us into Travis Bickle's head, you know, and it kind of has the device of the journaling. And I speculated in the first half that like, I think it's possible to read everything that Travis says as something that he has written down at some point but it's not as it's not nearly as explicit as it is with Toller's project his year long project
0: yeah and i like the contrast between the two characters in terms of their own their thoughts on their own work. Uh, I mean, he has that, Travis is unfiltered and this is everything that comes out, it mm-hmm. comes out and oh, there's yeah. a certainty to it and there's no certainty at all to what... I'm going to rip his, these pages Right, exactly. He, doesn't, <laughs> he, he, he thinks it's all, all about a bunch of nonsense. He's very hard at himself. Um, so that's a kind of a nice contrast. But what I, one question I want to ask you, Keith, mm-hmm. since you just saw Diary of a Country Priest and, and since that is such an important part of that movie. Like, how does that film relate to these two movies and to what Schrader's trying to do in both? Just, it's
2: just very close. And even some of the entries he makes are very similar to Diary of a Country Piece, but mostly the sort of the, you know, more than anything, they're united by this sort of the self lacerating, you know, the, all, these are the ways I've failed. This is where I can't, I, you know, I've fallen short. But also, they both talk about having difficulty praying, which I think is mm-hmm. a really interesting trait for a character to have, particularly a person of, of God, uh, to just not being able to summon the energy or be in the frame of mind to, to talk to God. And and I think it it just is another level of disconnection. You know, I don't, I don't think Travis would think about connecting to God, but I mean, this, this idea, but, but he's just as cut off from the divine or, or, you know, the spiritual aspects of, of his existence as Toller thinks he is. And same with Diary of Your Country Priest.
0: Yeah I mean that's a that's a big aspect of trader is uh, the idea of um I mean for one the kind of minimalist lifestyle but also just that need to just punish yourself mm-hmm. uh, that's the scorsese thing too of of you know in, in mean streets you have uh Keitel's character holding his hand above the flame just kind of feel the feel the fires of hell that are certainly going to consume him when he dies but there is that need on both of their parts to kind of punish themselves and, and christ of course in in last temptation of christ is that way too but um i'm not sure what the psychology of that is surely something deeply ingrained in Trader's upbringing i would guess but it's an interesting connection between all of all of his movies
2: yeah, I think that's where or calvinism and catholicism kind of connect on on extremes as well.
0: Oh, don't I know it. I wasn't a Cal, I was a Cal, not a calvinist but I was raised catholic so I know all about that feeling.
2: That kind of self torture Note seems a good place to to end <laughs> on. Um, uh, Taxi Driver is currently available on DVD and Blu Ray, and all the various streaming services. You watched it on Hulu, right? I
1: did, and I uh, had to make sure that I wasn't watching some censored version when I saw that the the porno theater was was blurred out.
0: Oh, but that and is, it's there. Yeah. It had a tr- it had trouble getting an R. <laughs> they had to, they had to change the color of the blood. famously. Yes, I, I was I was aware of that, and uh, and that it w- and made it something kind of vivid and otherworldly and kind of amazing.
2: Yeah. 70s movie blood is its own kind of Kind of thing mm-hmm. uh, for sure First Reformed is currently rolling out Across the country um, Seems to be doing well, it's an, an art house hit, it's as they, hit As they call it And we'll be right back with your next picture show Finally, it's time to catch each other up on films or film-related items we've seen in the interim since our last podcast. We call it Your Next Picture Show in the hopes that it will put some interesting choices on your radar. Genevieve, what in the world has been good for you lately?
1: I want to recommend a movie, newly-ish, out on Netflix called Ibiza, a sort of rom-com that lives in a space midway between Before Sunrise and Girls Trip. So there's a combination for you. (laughs) Uh, It stars Gillian Jacobs as a stressed-out marketing professional who's sent on a business trip to Spain, which her two best friends, played by SNL's Vanessa Bayer and Phoebe Robinson of Two Dope Queens fame, insinuate themselves into in hopes of getting their friend to loosen up. Uh, Once in Spain, the three of them kind of stumble into the late night club scene, and Jacobson's character Harper forms a connection with a famous EDM DJ, Stay With Me Here, played by Game of Thrones' as Richard Madden, uh, who's playing a one-night stand in Ibiza. So the three women set off to the famed party island to track him down. Now, saying that aloud, I'm aware that it sounds mildly to horribly insufferable, depending on your taste, but you're going to have to trust me here that both the romance and the comedy halves of this rom-com far exceed the expectations raised by that description. Uh, it's produced by Gary Sanchez, the production company operated by Adam McKay and Will Ferrell, and it's a feature debut of Alex Brickenbach, who did a lot of work with Funny or Die, uh, and the lead trio of women are all excellent and distinct comedic voices that really gel in a fun way here. And while if you told me before that sexy EDM DJ would be the role that finally made me fall a little bit in love with Richard Madden, I would not believe you. But uh, he and Jacobs have a really great and realistic feeling chemistry here that provides a nice counterpoint to the zanier comedy aspects of the film. And the way their relationship resolves is really smart and lightly subversive in a way I really appreciate it. Uh, And while I am no great fan of EDM and well past my clubbing days, the way the film uses music and clubbing interludes is really intoxicating, and I actually came away from this movie with sort of a begrudging appreciation of the form, or at least how it's presented here. I was curious about this one based largely on the cast, but very skeptical of the subject matter, but I'm really glad I didn't let that get in my way, because this is one of my favorite rom-coms in recent memory, and I highly recommend Ibiza, or Ibiza. See, that was the thing. It's
0: like, (laughs) come on, this is your opportunity to use the third. It's
1: a bitha. There's like uh, a whole
0: there's like a whole uh lonely island song devoted yeah. to the, the, the sound. I, know, I I
1: I couldn't do
2: it. So two things. Yeah. This is one, a good film that's debuting on Netflix, yes. right? Two, if you're well placed, your clubbing days. What does it make Scott mean? I, I know.
1: I know. <laughs> I But you you know I I I actually watched this uh with my boyfriend who plays music and is like kind of a snob about electronic music in terms of not appreciating it. And he came away from it saying like, that really kind of made me appreciate EDM in a way I never had before. So I I feel like it's probably not just me. But I mean, like, I don't want to oversell this movie. Like, it's a very sort of light, fun romp of a movie. But I think it does really interesting things from a filmmaking perspective in terms of how it uses music the visuals that go with that music to sort of like create an atmosphere like both and it does it in both like comedic ways and not i don't know i think i think you should give abiza a try i think you'd probably be surprised
0: it's and it's so easy it's right there yeah on netflix we all we all like gillian jacobs right i, I watched she's all a- three seasons of love and enjoyed it immensely but my clubbing days yeah my, my clubbing <laughs> days would have been uh back when i was a caveman right Keith. <laughs> <B? laughs> That was, a, that, was a, that was a little wet hot American <laughs> yeah. summer reference there. Um, uh, well, right. well, Scott, what
2: what about you? what What have you What have you enjoyed
0: <laughs> Well, I want to make an argument for *Adrift*, uh, a fact based oh. seafaring oh, yeah. adventure with Shailene Woodley uh, that I think deserved a better reception than it's gotten from both. Critics and audiences uh, this month. It's based on a true story about a young couple that sets out on a journey across the Pacific and a yacht they've been hired to take from Tahiti to San Diego. Uh, they get caught up in a hurricane, a very bad hurricane, uh, which damages the boat severely and leaves them adrift on, oh, a, I get oh, it. Huh? <laughs> on a on on sort of a makeshift sailboat uh, that likely won't hit land before they die of starvation or thirst or the injuries they've sustained from the storm. Adrift is not all is lost. You know, you know it doesn't have that interest in the particulars of keeping a vessel afloat against the odds. I mean, it doesn't have that kind of focus. What Adrift really is, is a love story. What director Balthazar Cormaker, who who did, you know, Everest, he likes to be outside, he's got a big beard, <laughs> um, and his screenwriters have done is is structure the film to where the courtship between Woodley and the, the male lead play, play, played by Sam Clifton moves forward on one timeline, and the aftermath of the storm moves forward on another, and this allows Past and present to rhyme in very interesting and often quite touching ways. It's all very simple and physical, uh, but the stars have a, tr- a lot of chemistry, and the photography is by Robert Richardson, who won, who's the three-time Oscar winner, shot Casino for Scorsese among mm-hmm. others, but uh, uh, won a couple of Oscars for for his work for for Oliver Stone. And I mean, he and uh, so it looks amazing. It's a beautiful-looking film. It's a s- simple, satisfying love story. The disaster when it happens is well rendered. I just think got it's, it's a good film, and I don't really get why the reception to it has been so blah. I uh, think it's very, a very solid piece of work. So, Adrift. Yeah. Check it out.
2: I mostly heard good things. I, I was turned off by the trailer, which gave away way Everything. too much of the plot. It, it, you did, know, it but, did. But it did look good. And, mm-hmm. and, and I like it. She's she, great. She I she she looks good. So yeah. is Sam
0: Clifton. He's good, too. He's from uh, that show. Uh, what's that show? On uh, Stars? Outlander, right?
1: No. No. Different guy. Okay. Yeah. Forget it. He was in The Hunger Games. Okay. Outlander guy is some crazy scottish name yeah
0: he's not quite as uh beefy as uh, the is the outlander guy
1: yeah <laughs> um, no he is not keith what about you <laughs> i've
0: got uh, two possible choices you want the light one
2: or the heavy one Maybe the light one after all. Yeah.
1: So far we've uh, followed up this very heavy pairing with two like fairly light yeah. recommendations. So let's keep that going. All
2: right. Well, these are both came from various things I was researching. So the heavy one, basically the Atomic Cafe, which I'd never seen before, <laughs> which strings together all these sort of like nuclear um, duck and cover and, and nuclear propaganda uh, from, from the 50s, 40s and the 50s. It's, it's quite amazing. And one of the other ones, the film I've seen before, but I was, I was looking at some dinosaur movies. Dinosaurs, <laughs> uh, because uh, Jurassic World: Fallen Kingdom is coming out, and uh, a delightful film uh, featuring dinosaurs from 1969 is The Valley of Guanji. Have, have you either? of you seen this?
1: No. It's Ray
2: Harryhausen did the special effects, and and uh, uh, it actually dates back to his mentor to make, Willis O'Brien, who did the special effects for for King Kong, wanted to make this movie, and you know, finally got made in 1969. And it, it is your classic story of uh, cowboys and dinosaurs. Uh, <laughs> there's these cowboys in mexico who who find a valley that the time forgot it's sort of a classic last lost world kind of thing and and uh the story is it's fine you know james franciscus is the star you know you get you get that the charisma uh you usually get from the guy you hired when charlton heston can't do your movie you know <laughs> um but um but the special effects are are, are awesome you know these really these charming, first of all first special effect is a tiny horse you know which is which is great but then you get dinosaurs fighting elephants and pterodactyls and it has this amazing climax and and i, I this is definitely a movie that Spielberg watched before making Jurassic Park it's an amazing climax of a it's not called a T-Rex but it basically is a T-Rex in in a cathedral um and, and and it's very clever um it's very well done and and uh it's not the deepest exploration of this but there's a scientist who who warns people from from tampering too much with this the, that themes in there as well but mostly It's about dinosaurs and cowboys interacting, and and it's a lot of fun. So uh, I I would definitely recommend seeking that one out, especially if Jurassic World Part Two is as not fun as Jurassic World Part One.
1: How can people see it?
2: I watched. I rented it via a streaming service, so it's it's there. But it's also um, there's a Blu-ray through Warner Archive, which I wish I owned, but I do not. And that's it for this week's edition of The Next Picture Show. Our next episodes come out June 19th and 21st. Genevieve, what are we discussing?
1: Whoops, correction there. Our next episodes will be out June 26th and 28th. And with those episodes, we'll be visiting two worlds filled with gadgets, intrigue, and world-dominating schemes. We'll make a return trip to the world of Pixar and Brad Bird's The Incredibles via the 14 years in the making Incredibles 2. But we'll first look at one of the key inspirations for Bird's Incredibles films, the Sean Connery-era James Bond movies. We had some back and forth before settling on the third entry in the series, Goldfinger, the moment when the series' love of espionage and far-fetched gadgets started to kick into high gear. Do we expect you to talk? No, podcast listeners. We expect you to listen. Though you could also write us. We like that, too.
2: In the meantime, we'd love to hear your feedback on this week's discussion of Taxi Driver, First Reformed, anything else film-related you'd like to talk about. We want to include your thoughts on future episodes of the show. You can leave a short voicemail at 773 Two three four nine seven three zero, or email us at comments at nextpictureshow.net. We may post your response on Facebook for discussion or read it on a future episode of the show. Finally, before closing out this week's episode, where where we find everyone these days. Genevieve?
1: Uh, you can find my work at the culture section at Vox.com, and you can find me on Twitter at Genevieve Kosky. Scott?
0: I'm on Twitter at Scott underscore Tobias, and uh, my work is at uh, NPR, New York Times, Washington Post, and other outlets. I'm also the editor in chief of oscilloscopes musings blog. We just had a big piece by Willow Kalin about uh, the video work of Kate Bush. Yeah. I, uh, read that. I thought that was pretty well, pretty good and a subject that she's super passionate about. So um, I check that out. Keith? Oh, you can find me
2: on Twitter at kphips3000. You can find my work all over the place. I'm at, I'm at Vulture. I'm at The Verge. I had a piece in The Ringer. I'm at Slate. Um, and you can find my work collected at
0: keithphips.com.
1: Oh, look at you. I've been telling Scott he needs to get a website that he can put all his stuff on, that he can point people towards. Yeah. He's, e- he's never done it. It's and easy enough. It. It's
0: Twitter. <laughs> I have a Tumblr account somewhere. That
2: yeah. No, it's, with... it's good to have them all in one place. And I used a popular website service that should sponsor us. <laughs> And then I will plug them properly. Does
0: it rhyme with Blair space? <laughs> yeah,
2: a little bit. Uh, you find our absent co-host Tasha Robinson at The Verge, uh, where she occasionally edits my work and is a delight to work with, uh, and on Twitter at, at Tasha Robinson. And you can stay updated on The Next Picture Show by visiting nextpictureshow.net, via Twitter at, at Next Picture Pod, and via Facebook at facebook.com slash NextPictureShow. If you haven't subscribed to the show on Apple Podcasts already, please consider it. Apple Podcast subscriptions are an important part of getting podcasts more prominent and more listeners. And while you're there, we appreciate every rating and review. Every thumbs up helps us find new listeners and keep the show going. Thanks to Dan the Snake Jake's for his assistance producing this podcast, and thanks to Genevieve Koski for providing recording space at her home base, Genevieve Koski's apartment. The Next Picture Show is proud to be part of the Film Spotting family of podcasts and the Panoply Network. Please tune in next time.